Listeners should consult an investment professional before making any decisions regarding topics mentioned in this podcast. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and not of Zeus. Please note that participants in this podcast may have financial interests in the matters discussed. Hi, I'm Nick Searle, a member of the Zeus Equity Sales Team and host of A Different Perspective. Here we interview interesting characters from the world of business and finance and uncover a different perspective. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts or contact me at live at zeuscapital.co.uk. It's Wednesday, 12th of July. With me today, I have Mike Tobin, OBE. Mike is the maverick former CEO of Telecity, from the streets of South East London to the CEO of a FTSE 250 company. Mike now spends his time in his venture fund, Tobin Ventures, is a member of many growth companies' boards and is an active charity supporter, including having run 40 marathons in 40 days for the Prince's Trust and trekked to the South Pole for the Brain Tumor Charity. Mike, good afternoon. Hi there, how are you doing? Very well. Lovely good. to see you today. It's been a while, Andrew, actually. It has. It goes back to those telecity days, doesn't it? Yeah, oh, yes. Well, well, I do remember an evening where we... Probably better we don't go into that, actually. <laughs> well, so, there, there are many evenings, so I've <laughs> if you remember it, it couldn't have been that good. That may be, may be very true. Um, I know. Let's start with where it all started, shall we? We can go far, as far back as you wish. Yeah, I guess. Um, so, born in, in Bermondsey, um, my... Dad was one of, um, I think, nine siblings, um, very violent. It was a rough old time living around yep. the docks. And uh, it was quite nasty to my my mom. And when I was seven years old, she decided, while he was in prison, one of the many times he was in prison, um, he she decided to, to sort of run away with me. And um, we ended up in what was then called Rhodesia, now called Zimbabwe. Um, what we didn't realize was um, it was in the middle of a civil war. Um, so we were petrol bomb four times and um, shot at at least a dozen times. One got me through the leg. Um, how, old, how old were you then? I, so I went there at seven yeah. and finally escaped there at about 12. Um, and when we came back to the UK, they, they basically took everything from us at the airport in, uh, in Salisbury, uh, Harare. Um, all our clothes, luggage, jewellery, money, literally everything but our passport and our boarding card. Um, and and the and the single layer of clothes, and so we turned up at Heathrow basically as refugees back into back into our own country, if you like, and um, lived in a squat in Stockwell for a couple of years. Um, used to make money by breaking into all the old condemned houses, um, waiting for demolition, and you'd find find things like old pianos. Very often, people you know, in that era used to have sort of pianos in the house for sing songs at the weekends, and then as they moved out and and sort of moved into different accommodation. They couldn't be bothered to yep. to move the piano, so we'd roll those out, tune them up, um, sell them down East Street Market for twenty pounds each, and that, that's how we survived for a couple of years. Then uh, left school at sixteen, did an apprenticeship with a company called Rockwell Automation um, in electrical electronics engineering, and um, and by the time I was twenty, I applied for a job um, for a, with a French computer manufacturer down in the smoke, and uh, and that was it. That was uh, that was the start of things. And then how long were you there for? Um, well, so I, I got my first CEO role. Again, complete fluke. I, was the, I, I joined this company at 20 as technical director, and it was completely hopeless. They hadn't sold anything, so there's nothing to be technical about. Um, and then the, um, I was flicking through the yellow pages, trying to 
find someone that might buy these French computers, which were very nice but very expensive, um, called Goupil, and uh, eventually managed to sell a hundred of them into uh, into a distributor in Wales. And I wasn't even a salesman at the time. I tell you, actually, it's the person that that taught me to sell was Brian Adams's cousin, mm -hmm. which is a story I'll tell you about later on. But um, so. Uh, <laughs> so 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 basically I did this and then the the CEO got um had a heart attack he survived but um he couldn't work anymore so in France they were too lazy to go and do a headhunter search for a new CEO so they said well this guy seems to know something you know it's the first first machines we've sold in the UK how about being CEO so by about 21 I had my first CEO role um and that was that was a bit of a nightmare, you know. Sort of, I, I I assumed that CEO meant shouting louder than everyone else and all the rest of it, right? But that's how I cut my teeth. And then, how does that morph into to Telecity? And we can go from the beginning of Telecity in a minute. But how did you? Find yeah. Your way so, to um, well, actually, um, uh, with with that same company, I moved to Paris, um, and uh, they wanted me to set up operations in. Uh, actually in the Nordics, even though I'd never been to the, the Nordics at that point in my life. But um, they said, well, you speak English, which is more than everyone in the Paris office does, so why don't you go and go and do that? And um, so I moved to Paris full-time. ended up spending 14 years in France, um, bought a chateau down, down in the Loire Valley, and set up a load of businesses across Europe, for mainly for American companies. And then I got involved with ICL, which was the old... You know, sort of British version of IBM, if yep. you like, um, and they had a, a business out in um, in Copenhagen, which was a um, mainframe kind of break fix business that they were trying to turn into a into a into a managed service play, and um, and so I said, yeah, I'll do that for three years, and and um, was very lucky there. A um, couple of interesting stories. One of them was. Uh, They'd had a number of um, uh, CEOs, and they couldn't turn this business around. And one of the things was, if you don't have any sort of track record in doing managed services, no one's going to take you as a managed mm -hmm. service provider. Right? So, and, and it was a vicious circle. And we were just desperate to try and get one decent deal. Um, and I was trying to gain the trust early. I'd only been there a couple of months, and it was Christmas. I was trying to gain the trust of the, uh, of the sort of four, 500 um, employees they had. Um, and so I rented a Father Christmas outfit on a Friday night at the office. And the Danish Father Christmas outfits are slightly different <laughs> to normal Father Christmas outfits. So they've got big furry trousers and clogs. And, but, but anyway, so I was trying this on. It had been delivered to the office. I was trying it on. And the idea was I was going to go around th that weekend and deliver um, chocolates to all the kids of the employees. Yeah. Which would have taken me kind of all day Saturday, all day Sunday, driving around Denmark. And... Um, Anyway, so one of my guys was, was leaving the office on the Friday night as I'm trying this outfit on. He says, um, what are you doing? So I explained to him and he said, um, well, do you mind? My wife works in the, um, uh, in the alcoholics ward at the local hospital. Would you mind coming down as Father Christmas? Because no one ever visits them at Christmas. Could you come down? So I said, yeah, sure, okay, right. Anyway, so I go and it was quite touching. Some of them probably wouldn't get out of there mm -hmm. ever, right? And it was quite a sad thing, but um, it made their day to see someone coming around. Obviously, I kept the liqueurs to myself, didn't <laughs> hand those out, but the other chocolates went, went fine. Um, and then uh, as I was leaving, he'd, he'd gone by then, but as uh, my friend had gone, as, as I was leaving, I got, a got in a cab, and you could see this taxi driver like staring at me in the rearview mirror going, what on earth is going on? You know, coming out of the hospital dressed as Father Christmas. And so anyway, I, I said to him, don't worry, my day job is 
my tea and you know, this is, I was just doing a favor. And he says, well, funny enough, um, I'm not a real taxi driver either. And I, and I said, what do you mean? He says, well, I'm a, I'm a clown. And I go around the world as a clown performing in villages in Africa and things like that and, and bringing joy to them. And then every few months I come back and earn some money taxi driving and then go again. He said, here's my card. Anyway, so I didn't think any more of it. And about six months later, and we're still struggling to get our decent, you know, our decent deal. And um, I get this call from this guy. His name was John Christensen. He says, uh, Mike, you remember I was a taxi driver. Um, we're opening a new wing in the hospital, and I'm going to dress as a clown, do some balloon animals. Can you do some sort of, um, you know, can you hand out some goodies, you know, some computers, laptops, so you could wheel them to the bed and all this sort of stuff. And I managed to get a few things from um, Fujitsu and everyone else that I was working with. And so we, we went into this and opened up this new ward with the kids, and it was great, and it was filmed. And um, I didn't know, I, th I assumed it was filmed by the, ho by the hospital, but actually the next day it was all on the TV, in the, in the newspapers, our you know, sort of hard-ass CEO of computer company has a heart after all type story. Yeah. Um, and then I got a call from the uh, Danish Department of Health saying, well, look, we're about to close our tender. I think you should apply. And I said, well, we've got a day left. No, apply. They said, definitely apply. Anyway, we got the deal, our first outsourcing deal. Wow. Um, and they said to me afterwards when we had our celebratory yeah. sort of drink, he said, well, anyone that cared that much about the people in the hospital is going to do a good job in, in looking after us as a whole. And that first deal, and it was a big one, was how we started the, the ball rolling and in, uh, turning into a managed service company. I mean, very serendipitous, I guess. Yeah, really. in a so way, yeah. Should always be nice to your taxi drivers. Always be nice to, and to Father Christmas. And to Father Christmas, exactly <laughs> right. And then um, and we can start talking a little bit about Telecity. I mean, do you want to sort of Yeah, sure. The, so, the I mean, that, that when I turned turn that business around, they, they whizzed me off to Frankfurt and set up. Um, they were bought by Fujitsu at that time and, and set up e-business operations for them in, in Frankfurt for three years. And then um, the dot-com bubble burst sort of 2001, late 2001, 2002. And um, I thought the best thing was to get back to the UK. So I came back and just took the first job that I could find, which was, um, it was a company called Redbus mm -hmm. at the time. Um, absolute basket case, um, data centers. Um, nobody, nobody knew what a data center was and certainly didn't know how to use one, um, but this company had listed on the main market. Yeah, I remember. Um, raised about 400 million, spent it, and it had, it had about two point, um, the burn was 2.4 a month, and it had six million in the bank, and the market cap was six million. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't do my due diligence, took the job, and then very quickly realized that I had sort of sub three paydays um, in front of me. So I, I kind of scribbled out a very random s survival plan. Again, a lot of luck. And um, managed to take it private for about 23 million with some new investors. Um, we relisted it in 07 for uh, 250 million. And then we sold it to Equinix for 3.6 billion in 2014. Yep. So it was a great journey over that sort of 12-ish years. But uh, yeah, a lot of luck as well. Well, that's okay. I mean, we can all have a bit of luck. Yeah, well, you know, it's, uh, if anyone says they're successful because it's all only hard work, they're, they're fibbing. But yeah, they, everyone needs a lot of luck. No, exactly right, exactly right. 
Um, and then, and then, what happened next after after Redbus? Well, so yeah, um, so during that time, obviously Redbus, um, uh, I, I merged it with Telecity, and we kept the Telecity name because it was more synonymous synonymous to a to a data center operator than Redbus was. We used to get the old phone calls from grannies in Brighton going, "Are you the company that I can get to London with?" I said, "No, we're a data center company." So. Um, so uh, Actually, one of the interesting uh, couple of things there, when I, when I had my management team at Redbus and I sort of said to them, we're going to merge with Telecity, we're going to bring them in. And you can imagine, in, in any case, just like you know, if your company said they were, they were going to merge with a, your, your biggest competitor, you know, there's a little bit of trepidation. Yeah. People think, well, that means synergies, you know, two people, one job, that sort of stuff. So they were, <clears throat> they were quite worried. So um, I took them up to Scotland um, as a group, they thought they were going to a management meeting in Edinburgh, but actually as you pass, as you cross the old fourth road bridge, not the new one, um, and you kind of going north, you cross over and immediately double back on yourself. You come to this huge aquarium, enormous aquarium, and it's in the Firth of Forth. So it feels like you're really in the ocean. Yeah. And, um, and they were going like, why is this, like, wh why we stopped here? So I said, come on, everyone out. And I said, two by two, you know, get, right, get your wetsuits on, breathing apparatus and they were looking at me going what's going on this is ridiculous and then i said flip your legs in and that's probably about i don't know 15 meter high aquarium huge place but it feels like you're in the open water yeah. and um so they flipped their legs over into this thing and then they saw these shark fins floating around in front of them and there's no net no cage and they were like oh my god yeah where's hr when how are you doing to me this sort of stuff but they all went down, um, and they all had sharks, literally huge sharks, but they were sort of 10, centi 10, 10 inches away from them. Um, so when they came up, and, and I was being sworn at and everything else when they were going down, but when they came up, I said, okay, so how did you feel when you realized what you were about to do? And they said, we were terrified, we hated you, oh my God, it was awful. I said, how did you feel when you were actually on the seabed and they were literally coming up to you and and staring at you within within a you know distance of a foot, and they said we're still terrified but kind of excited because it was like oh wow this is actually happening and they're not eating me, um, and I said how did you feel when you got out and they said well I don't want to do it again but amazing life changing experience I've got stories to tell everything else I said well every time you kind of go into a scenario where you have fear, right then it, it, remember that process we always over worry about things in advance right and we, we don't we don't worry sure. about the past yeah. or, the, or the or the present we worry about the future and we usually overlay all the negative scenario that we possibly can on that so invariably it's never as bad as as we think it's going to be secondly you're probably going to learn something out of it and you're going to come out the other end with experience qualities that you didn't have going in so it's a different way of looking at a situation that you that could generate fear because fear is like it's such a wasted energy, right? It's, it's like it's like you know, draw, paying interest on a debt you haven't drawn or something yeah. like that. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's really yeah exactly, exactly. Did you swim with the sharks as well? I did, I did, yeah, yeah. And of course, the ones that I didn't want to keep on the synergy side, I just give them a little nick on the arm, and that was. <laughs> 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 so the sharks were a little bit more attracted to them. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's better than paying off redundancy money. Um, but then, and, well, one of the other things was actually a little bit later. So by the time we did the merger. And we had, and I didn't really get rid of anybody actually. And, and um, we brought in the, the Telecity team, the Redbus team, got together. It's just an enlarged team. 
and most of them kind of got it. Most of them were sort of working together, and it was the Nuco, and but it was always some of them that was sort of like them and us, you know, yeah. the old and, and the, the cultures were quite different. The one was sort of fast moving, maverick driven. Um, the other one was very process driven, you know, paperwork. So the, the cultures clashed a bit, but they were always sort of like, oh, you do that, and you, you know, all this sort of stuff. So I took them to um, the North Pole to the ice hotel in the north of sweden not to see santa again no 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 so this was this was in the north of sweden um they build this ice hotel every year um and they cut out blocks of pure ice from the fjords right and and every year it's rebuilt beautiful hotel every room is made of ice the beds are made of ice the tables the chairs the plates the glasses everything is ice so at first i <coughs> took them to the uh, to the to the bar and we got them well uh, well lubricated with with uh, with swedish um vodka and uh which was essential um for for the plan and then uh, as it was time to 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 retire i explained to them the sleeping arrangements and what you had to do was sleep two per bed for for body warmth so the ones that didn't get on well together you put them together i made them sleep together yeah. And they were best of friends in the morning. And one of the reasons they were the best of friends. <laughs> metaphorically, I heard, <laughs> not literally. Well, it was, it was very fortunate we had an exact even number of men and women. So yeah. uh, that, was, uh, that, that worked out. Um, but the one thing was that, in, and this is why the, the alcohol was important, that in the middle of the night, the one thing you don't have in an ice hotel is an ice toilet, right? So you have to go outside. Now, you're not allowed outside at night on your own because it's minus 30 yep. and you're going to get hypothermia. If you slip and bang your head, you're, you're, you're dead in 20 minutes. So someone's got to go with you. So the person you don't like, as well as now snuggled up and spooning with them, you have to wake them up in the middle of the night and say, could you follow me out with your torch, please, and watch while I do my little business, and then I can warm my feet up on your bum later on, right? So this is the, the part and parcel of the, of the, uh, of the relationship building, yeah. They must have loved you as a CEO, <laughs> um, and then I guess I guess I mean it's well it's well fettered sort of your your maverick management ways. Are there any others that you'd like to sort of chat about? I mean, how do you how do you get the best out of people? Yeah, you know, what you know, what drives well, what I, drives you to drive them? Well, I, I think for, it starts from I, I I'd I'd much rather have someone with the right attitude than the right skill set, right? Because skills can be learned. A lot easier than an attitude can be can be can be sort of bred, right? So, I really hate people that start every every answer to a to a, a situation or every sentence with the problem with that is, yeah. right? So say, come on, let's come up some some ideas of X Y Z, and someone goes, oh, I'll, I, how about doing this? And then, ah, oh, yeah, the problem is, yeah. and like, tell me, you know, if you're not going to tell me your own idea, then tell me why. We can make that one work. How yeah, we can solution, make that one work. The solution right? so, the so that attitude, I think, is really important. So if if you can start with people with the right attitude around you, um, and and get the brightest, you know, most positive people that you can, and you become, and everyone around you becomes what they are surrounded by. Right? It's, it's like a an infection. So it's an energy, isn't it? Yeah, it hundred percent is, and you know. It, you, you've, if you if you surround yourself with negative, unsuccessful people, pretty sure you're going to become negative and unsu unsuccessful, yeah. and vice versa. If yeah. you sur surround yourself with with positivity, and so so having that dynamic is really important for me. And then once you've got that, you, you you're just giving them space, right? So you know, I 
I can't do the the the, the PNL as well as my CFO. I can't do HR as well as my HR person. I can't do any of the elements. That's why I recruit them in the first place. So, so give them some form of autonomy. Yeah. Why would you try and tell them what to do after all that, right? So you've already established they're bright. They've got the right ideas, you know. And again, you know, so my first book was called Forget Strategy, Get Results, right? right? And, and the whole point there was don't be prescriptive with people. Sort of give them the vision, right? So what do you want to be famous for in five years' time, right? And then give them the freedom to go out and, and create the journey, yep. right? Because especially in technology, everything changes so fast that, you know, if you, by the time you've actually sort of drawn the map, it's, it's superseded by... by you know, another another release or another version or a new competitor yep. or something else, but if you give them the, the you know the sort of the the leeway to be able to adjust their sails every time the wind changes, they can still largely go in the right direction. And that's the kind of what, that's what you're looking for is allow them, give them space and also allow them to fail during that process. So you know, not persistently doing the same thing wrong, but if you think, yeah. you know. They'll, they'll come to you and say, well, I tried this because of that, and that's perfectly logical, but it didn't work. Okay, great. You know, there's no such thing as failure. There's only success and learning what doesn't work. So then how did you marry the two cultures between Red Bus and TeleCity? Because I would imagine TeleCity was very different than the, Yeah, there was, so the, the one, I mean, that was driven from the top. Um, and the, uh, the two guys that, that ran it, um, uh, Ricky Hudson was the CEO, and he's no longer with us. Um, and he was very conservative in his way. And then Josh Joshi was the CFO who now runs, um, I think Atlas, he's chairman of Atlas Edge, another data center company. He's a great guy, actually. Um, and, uh, but the, but the, the culture came from that CEO. So moving him out quickly mm-hmm. was, was step number one, right? And then also just saying to people, you know, so, some people, you, you, you can go to them and say, maybe this place isn't for you, you know, and you'll be much happier somewhere else where, he, where it looks yeah. like you more. Yeah. Um, and, and people don't mind, I think, you know, especially if it's not done in a kind of a brutal fashion. I mean, they probably know that anyway, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, you, yeah. You, you, if you're so not happy, it's... If, and, and also, if you can't, if you're not getting... So if people aren't being unable to do the job and they're getting under pressure and everything else, what I try and do is say, okay, well, where could you add value? If you've got the right attitude, yeah. where can you add value? Let, let's take you out of that role. So clearly you're, you're underwater here. Let's, let's find another role that you can do. And, and that sort of thing, I think, is also, um, it gives people confidence that even if they, they'll try something and they're not, you know, they're not getting it right, that they're not just going to be out on the street. They're going to yeah. be repurposed within the organization. Because it's very hard to find the right people. It is, it is. And when you've got good people, you know, you just got to find the right, the right role for them. Yeah. And then how did you enjoy your interaction with investors and, and the city? <laughs> <coughs> well, um, they, so, so um, we were very lucky because the, the business sort of continued to grow. Yeah, it was all sort of bottom left to top right yeah. every, every quarter. Yeah. So um, having a successful business means that Maybe you're... Maybe just sort of put this into context. What, what year would, would this be? Cause it's sort of well, so, so we, we relisted in 07. So between 07 and 2014, yeah. we were um, back on the FTSE 250 and growing 
pretty strongly, you know, very sig very strong cash generative. Um, you know, we it was it was a dream of a business to 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 run, right? And it was easy because you had all these great people around you. And I mean, at the end, I was I felt like I was getting quite bored because there were very few challenges in the business, and because I'd got such a lovely team, a brilliant team, you know, any challenges that were there were resolved without without you know needing to come to me so um you know when you when you stood up in front of the investors they were making money out of you didn't yeah. matter which which entry point they had you know they they made money and that makes for a somewhat more relaxed oh, meeting, so, I guess. You know, they used to come in in the mornings of our um quarterlies right and they'd see if, if i had four buttons undone on my shirt like i have at the moment then it's going to be a good result. Yeah. If it's if I have three buttons, it's going to be a slightly less good result. So, <laughs> so when you put the tie on, they have to worry. Oh, yeah, nev never, never put the tie <laughs> on. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I, I put the tie on once, which was for the IPO day, and I regretted it ever since because people look at those pictures and take the mickey out of me. But uh, yeah, I guess maybe one of your only days you've ever worn a tie. I'd imagine. I actually had a bow tie on last night. At um, I was at Mansion House for a livery yeah. dinner yeah. with the Lord Mayor, so uh, I had my dicky bow and my sash and everything. How very smart. Um, <laughs> but interacting with those investors, I mean, did you find it fun, dull? <sighs> Look, really I mean, so it, it became, I mean, I've got other investors now, so I'm, I chair a couple of listed companies yeah. now, both yeah, name. And, you know, th they're, they're going through more challenging times because the, the macro is... And the market's right? coming through, going through more challenging times. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, y you do get people that are um, impatient for the return. And... You know, what I often tell investors, and they, they obviously know it, but they just need to be reminded of it, that if the fundamentals are good and you haven't sold, you've never lost money, even if the share price is down. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, you know, you're, you're basically riding out a, an optical dynamic where the market is dragged. You know, on, on day one, your price is 10. Day two, Ukraine happens, your price is five. The business isn't different, right? And yet it's worth 50% less. That's nonsense. So you've got to kind of ride out these things and say, you know, if you're truly an investor who believes in the business rather than simply as, as like taking a tip somewhere and doesn't care what it is as long as it works, then you, you look for the fundamentals and say, OK, I'm going to ride this. I'm, you know, ideally, I would have liked to have got out in two years, but it'll probably take me four years. But at the end of the day, I know that in that time, things will have returned back to the status yeah. quo. And then you'll have a bigger valuation to the same multiple as you originally yeah. were on. So it'll come true. And then how do you spend your days now? Hmm. Well, I've got a, about a dozen um, chairman roles, yeah. um, ranging from the largest one is about a 10 billion business, Edge Connects in the US, um, was global. Um, and the smallest is, is that a, a data center business? That's or? a data center business. The smallest one, I'd say, is about a um, 25 million business which is um, a, soft, a health software business based in Shoreditch. Um, and they're all super interesting. I, I enjoy giving the kind of, because I know that there's not many things that are different in business. You know, it's all about cash and it's all yep. about, you know, getting the simple things right. And so getting these young guys, th this is two, two young doctors, um, business called Patchwork Health. Two young doctors saw a load of wastage in the NHS, decided to set up this software platform to significantly reduce wastage. It's working really well, but you know it's a startup and they're moving fast now. We've got a couple of VCs on board. Um, but you know the kind of questions they have is like, 
this guy's getting on my nerves. How do I deal with it? You know, yeah. Um, yeah, how do I engage with the VC because he's just paid me a lot of money, but he's demanding X, Y, Z of my time, you know, and I can't concentrate on the work. You know, those those sorts of things. Where so it's quite interesting. You become a conduit to the outside world. Yeah. So so I I like to sort of think of myself as a, as a bit of a Babel fish for the, you know, those of you who didn't see Hitchhiker's Guide to the Book Galaxy, but it's a translation device yeah. um, because very often management and and the stakeholders are saying similar things but using different words. Oh, we're the same on this side as a broker. It's exactly, yeah. it's exactly the same. So you kind of bring them together and say, okay, we, we know you both want the same thing here, so this is how we're going to address it. Um, so, you know, I, I sit there n- not as, the, as management's, you know, like buffer, but I do do that. And I don't sit there as, as private equity's um, hammer, mm-hmm. but I do do that. So, you know, it's, it's, it's for me to sort of drive that even balance through the middle. And basically, I've been very fortunate since 2015. I've had sort of three exits or so a year. So I, they're now cabs off rank. So you yep. get three new ones, three exits, yeah. and, and that works really well. Got some restaurants now in London as well. Hey, hey, what, um, sort of, what sort of restaurant? So I don't know if you've heard of the uh, the Batman-themed restaurant in Brewer Street. I haven't. Should I be going? You should definitely. Um, it's not really, but ba- it's more Gotham City-esque, I would say. It's called Park Row. And um, it's got some, ve- I mean, if you unless you're a Batman geek, you won't notice the, the, the thing. So it's got Is a... Is it very subtle? Is it subtly Batman? Super subtle, yeah. Um and then in the main brasserie is huge. It's the old Atlantic Bar and Grill, if oh, okay. you remember that yeah, place. Yeah, by um, I know, exactly just on Brewer yeah, Street, yeah, just yeah. behind Brasserie Zadell. Yep. And, uh, and then they've got this private room, which is a sort of 10-course um, tasting menu where the walls change around you to each. Each course represents a different anti, anti-hero, villain. And many of the villains in Batman actually... Um, weren't villains originally. They didn't start life mm-hmm. bad. They, bad stuff happened to them and they became yep. bad. Um, so it's kind of a, a, an ode to you know, understanding people and giving them a, l- a little bit of a break sometimes because everyone goes through tough times, even, even the penguin. Even the penguin. Yeah. Well, he opened a bar in New York, in, New York, in Gotham City, of course, and, um, yeah, and, and, and the, maf- the, the mafia came and trashed it and that's why he became nasty. So, uh, yeah. And then how, how's that been trading over? That's over? been good. So, it's, you know, I'm obviously it's only a year open now yep. um, and it's a huge place, it's great, yeah, but it's doing place. great. I mean, we're opening um, the on, you know, the big screens in um, in uh, Piccadilly Circus, yep. the huge screens. Yep. That roof and that building has never been used before. So we're converting that into a sort of a um, uh, like a Madison style, a yes. half open, half closed yeah. rooftop bar. Um, and that'll be... Uh, uh, adult version Alice in Wonderland themed, um, probably called Down the Rabbit Hole or something like that. Oh, that'll, open, that'll open about <coughs> October, November. Then uh, Netflix, without us knowing, um, Netflix came in, 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 uh, in Park Row and asked us to, to open a Drive to Survive themed um, restaurant on the Strip in Vegas in time for the Vegas Grand Prix in November. Amazing. So that'll open um, last week of October as well. So, that's so it's almost, is it, is it experiment, experiential dining? Experiential dining, yeah. So it's all, um, it's all a lot of fun. I mean, what we found is people want more than just food because they've been stuck at home for yeah, during the pandemic. Yeah. And, and the other one we have is Sixes Cricket, of course. If you've tried oh, yes, that. Is, yeah, that, yeah, is so that one of you? Is that yours? Yeah, so um, got four in London. We just yeah. opened in Dallas, actually. Um, how's that? How's that going down? Many cricket players in Dallas. Well, so I I just saw an article today where um, so 
Texas is now the home of the new American version of the IPL. Okay, yeah. Um, so they've got their first dedicated cricket stadium is in, is in Dallas. So we're 10 minutes walk from there, which is why we've got chosen gone Do there. Do you want to give us a little bit of a, a flavor of Texas? Yeah, so, so basically it's, it's um, burgers and shots and things like that, the food, right? So, you know, wings and pizzas and stuff. You go there as in, a, in a bunch, guys, girls, they all go there. And, you, and you've got cricket nets inside the restaurant and a video screen at the end. And a guy comes along and bowls a real ball at you. It's a bit like the reverse of top golf, if you like. Yes, so, yeah. And then you whack the ball and you've got scoring panels around and it's all electronic scoring. Um, and you just have a lot of fun. So while one's playing, the other one's eating and drinking and we deliver the shots on the cricket bat. You know. So there's one in, <laughs> in London, this is sort of Portland. Great Portland Street, Great yeah. Portland it's, Street. The old, it's the old Villandry yes. um, that so used I've, to be Whenever I've walked past that, it's been absolutely rad. It is. I mean, it's doing so well. So we've got eight in the UK now and the ninth one in, in, in Dallas. So. Oh, that eight. so you must have four outside London then, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Manchester, Birmingham, Leicester and Brighton. And I can imagine it's quite good for, for, for kids' parties. It's, it's great for kids' parties. Stag do's, hen do's. That's more like it, yeah. And we have a lot of cricketers come down and... and um, Phil Tufnell is a classic. He usually comes down and gets gets well lubricated and thinks he can play with one arm and then swings himself out of the out of the course, you know. So, um, but yeah, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. So, and you do you still do a lot of charity work? Yeah, yeah. So I probably spend about forty percent of my time with charity charity stuff. Um, you know, the main one at the moment is Action Against Hunger, um, where they're in, they they move around the world, but essentially it's helping. Um, underprivileged uh, communities to, to to get better nourishment, nutrition. Um, at the moment, they spend a lot of time in Turkey and Syria because of the earthquakes, mm-hmm. um, and there's just you know, no way that they can kind of get back to a normality in a, in short term because nothing exists anymore. Some of those areas completely raised to the ground, um, so they're doing a lot of work there. So we like to raise um, uh, quite a bit of, uh, of funds for them uh, where we can. So we do tricks like uh, we had our 10-year wedding anniversary last year and uh, we made up these coat checks that people didn't realize they, they couldn't get their coats back until they'd QR, um, got the QR code and to work on it and given charity. some money to the charity. Yeah, So uh, I like to be cheeky like that with people. How do you find time to do anything else? I mean, 10 PLC my, my rules. Fo- my fourth book's coming out this week as well. All so. right, well, let's, we can talk <laughs> about that, Mike. I mean, what's, the, what's that about? That's called A Perfect Storm. And it's really about, um, you know, you've got Ukraine and the cost of living crisis and inflation and mortgage rates and COVID and all these different things. And like for some people, it's it's become overwhelming. Right. And, and um, it's about breaking down some of these kind of impossible problems into bite sized pieces and and trying to deal with each element of it individually and, and trying to work your way through and it uses you know it, it kind of gives it's not again it's not prescriptive it doesn't say this is the way to to do stuff yeah but it says here are a bunch of ways that you might find helpful so it's giving tools yeah it's tools and, they, and it uses some I, I i quote a bunch of tech you know some apps help sleeping you know that, yep. that sort of stuff um but it's just to get people thinking in a certain way to allow them to deal with what appears to be insurmountable kind of the perfect storm, um, but in reality, is a, is a number of smaller things that can be be resolved. I mean, I, I, I like to tell um, people when when we when we have sort of setbacks in business, 
Um, you know, it, it's, it's impossible to assume that you're not going to have setbacks in business. That just doesn't happen, yeah. right? So you should almost embrace the setback as the opportunity to differentiate yourself between you and your and your competitor because yes yeah, so yeah, so it's not the setback it's actually the comeback it's the comeback yeah, yeah. so so you know for if you see no hurdles n nor will your com com competition right and then you know you there's not going to be any differentiation other than you know race to the bottom on price or whatever yeah. else but if you see hurdles then yes you get over it you put a barrier between you and everyone else and and you're quite right it's it's simply you know for me, success is all about getting up one more time than you get knocked down, right? Yeah. That's, that's or get up one more time than your, your competitor does. Yeah. You don't need to run faster than the lion. You just need to run faster than the other guy that's with exactly you. Exactly right. <laughs> or, or in your case, <laughs> swim faster underwater than the sharks. Exactly. <laughs> and make sure Mike hasn't given you a wetsuit and Nick beforehand. <laughs> and then as, as, as you're here, be remiss not to me to ask so lots of themes in tech at the moment are gaining quite a lot of interest i mean ai being one of them yeah what's your what's your thought on that and um how do you see it playing out well i, I think it's i think it's amazing we've been talking about it uh, first of all I, there's a lot of panic around it right right and i don't think people certainly in the immediate term should be panicked about it and yes it can be used for good and bad but like everything can be used for good and bad, right? You can put a loaded gun mm. on this table in front of us and it will still sit there doing no harm to anybody for 100 years until someone that has an evil mind picks it up and does something bad with it. So I think, you know, tools are, are going to be there and used for good and bad. Um, and I think the other thing about it is that it's invented now, so you can't uninvent it. Yeah. yeah it's like toothpaste. You know, you, oh, damn, I put too much toothpaste. You can't put it back in, yeah. right? You're just going to use it. So... You know, you, you can't unlearn it. So I think w given that, then how do you embrace it and how do you kind of deal with it? And I don't think it necessarily replaces, in the, in the short to medium term, I don't think it replaces jobs, but I do think people that use AI will replace people that don't use AI. Yes, so every business has to have an AI every, strategy. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, 100%. And it, it, it doesn't have to be um, like super technical confused conversations with wizards and yeah. it, it's simply about you know if it, you had all the knowledge in the world at your disposal within a millisecond for example right would you be able to make better choices or, if, or more efficient choices or more efficient choices and so and, and i think when you combine ai with um the prevalence or the increasing prevalence of the internet of things devices and um, when we think about that it's not a, a, you know, a phone or a laptop. It's more um, a sensor. Yeah. Right. If you've got a, if you've got a, an ever increasing, I think there's m something like nine billion devices connected to the internet now, but that'll be 25 in five years' time. So you've got all these devices that'll be sensing things, right? Um, relatively dumb, other than that. Yeah. But all that information put into something that can think about things in a certain way and give outcomes. I think is going to be prolific, really prolific. I think you're right. And also very good for data centers, actually. Very good for data centers. I mean, I think, am I right in thinking so it takes seven times as much bandwidth for a chat GPT well, search than a Google search? Actually, we were, t well, we, were talking, we were talking to Google a few weeks ago in, in the US, and they said they're putting their version of chat GPT barred yeah. underneath Google search, right? So yeah. you won't see a change as you as you do your search engine and i use google like i mean it's my landing page yep. 
using it 20 times a day. And they said that it would just bring out richer results, more specific and accurate results. They said it will consume 17 times more power wow. for every single search. Wow, so, right. so that's, yeah, that's incredible. So if right? you've got a, a 100 megawatt data center, which is the size of a town in terms of power consumption, yeah. now you've got 17 town, towns just simply by adding AI. Wow, so <laughs> to the picks and shovels of, of data centers and chips, etc., mm. are really where the the interest should be exactly i mean you know with the the good thing about the infrastructure side of it it's like the railroads you know the, the yes. in the wild west you don't you, you didn't really need to worry about which oil baron was going to win or or you know which cowboy was going to shoot who yeah they were all going to use the same railroad yes right exactly. and i think that's one of the keys is, is sort of whether it's open ai or chat gpt or or bard or whatever it doesn't really matter they're all going to consume capacity in data centers and use networks and use fiber and subsea cables and and the telephone towers yeah. and mobile consumption yeah. and everything else. And then anything else in the sort of tech horizon that excites you? Well, I think that, you know, that, that again, you know, if you go back sort of pe people had the Internet as a as a as a separate sort of industry in the past and that's kind of died away because everyone has internet exactly right. in every business so i think where we see uh, ai being looked at as a discrete dynamic that will go away um as i guess a bit like the, the the google search it becomes so embedded yeah that it's it very just becomes almost like a sort of a, a national right yeah. <laughs> to, to yeah. have like water and electricity sort of thing um and you know i think the the, the interesting thing that that the government's trying to do about leveling up um making sure people get um, the capability of using those tools, regardless of whether they live in the Hebrides or whether they, you know, in, in Australia, for example, everyone lives all the way around yes. a huge, huge landmass. But in the middle, hardly anyone lives there. But it doesn't mean to say that the odd farmer yeah. shouldn't be able to have high-speed broadband, for example. So m making sure that those um, sort of end or edge parts of infrastructure are are there as well as the kind of, the, you know, the, 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 the kind of central London yep. deployments. I think it's really important. I guess that rolls into the developing world as, as well. Absolutely. Well, I mean, we, we bought and sold a business called Terraco in South Africa um, with Pomira. Um, in four years, I think we bought it for around 100 million euros, sold it for a billion four years later. And this thing is just like a rocket ship. Mm. But they own the largest internet exchange in Africa, which is now the seventh largest in the world. So it, from obscurity, yes, it's now yeah. flying. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you know when when we look at that as as a as an opportunity, you know, you've got hundreds and hundreds of millions of people that are moving um, through the gears on affluence. Yes, um, and at the same time, the deployment of capability is is coming through. Because also, I mean, there, there'll be there'll be many a many a country that doesn't even have a fixed telephone wire because absolutely. they've got cellular straight away. They've got cellular straight away, absolutely. Yeah, fixed wireless now. Um, you know, and if you have a, a satellite dish, even with something like Starlink, straight down to one single point in a village, yeah. and then you put a, a sort of 5G, yeah, mesh, the entire village yeah. is connected. Yeah. yeah, It's a very different world to you know, Thomas Bell. Um, but not that long ago. That's, that's, that's it. You know, that's that's it. It's yeah. moving fast. Moving it's very fast. fast. As my regular listeners know, I like to close with three questions, Mike. If I can take one at a time, 
your greatest inspiration or mentor? Well, you see, um, I haven't really had, because of moving around as a kid yeah. and didn't have the best of sort of father figures and, and everything else, I haven't really had that sort of mentoring um, type thing. But I have captured bits and pieces that have stayed with me over the years. I think I mentioned earlier on um, uh, Brian Adams' cousin. Yeah. Um, and he, he actually was the guy that taught, his name is Ian Watson, um, lives in, the, in California at the moment. Uh, he said something brilliant. He said, in, in terms of sales, he said, imagine you're a broom salesman, right? And, and you've got 100 terraced houses in front of you. And your, your broom company is a family business, been going for 100 years. You've got all the stats every year. You know exactly how many brooms, you know how many doors you knock on. And on average, you know that you're, you're going to sell a broom to every 100 doors you knock on on average. Ni 98 of them are going to have a broom. One of them hasn't got a broom but can't afford yours, and one of them will buy. Right? So when you come up to the street, doesn't matter where you start, and you knock on the door, the door opens, hello, hi, would you like a... Slams in your face. Right? And instead of being disillusioned at that point, you go, yes! yes. I'm one step closer yeah, exactly. to my sale. Yeah, exactly. Right? So that attitude of, of taking, again, it's a bit like the hurdles, right? Yeah. Taking the adversity and seeing it as a positive, I think is very, very important. And that was a great, that was a great thing. When I, when I got my apprenticeship, um, this was long before email, when I was 16, uh, over 40 years ago, um, I, uh, I was sitting in Bond Street tube station on a bench and there was an old man sitting there and I opened the letter in front of, in front of him. I'm sure he couldn't read what it said because he was quite old at the time. Um, but it said, congratulations, you've got your place and the apprenticeship and everything and I beamed smile. And he, and he looked at me and he went, and he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, son, he said, always go the extra mile because there's less traffic there. Right. I so, like that. So those are two very specific individuals that, that have been inspirational to me. Yeah. Um, I can probably throw a few more out there, but those are the sort of thing, rather than someone that sort of... Yeah, being a mentor. Yeah. No, I, 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 like, I like that old man, old to you, old yeah. I mean, <laughs> And a book which has inspired you. Well, um, I'm not a great reader, Great um, writer of books. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I pump them out. I think I've probably I've written everything I know now. I probably would have done that in the first chapter of the first book. But um, so I'm not a great reader. When I when I want to be entertained, I tend to just vegetate in front of a TV. Yeah. But 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 one one thing I think is um, for me an outstanding book, which is um, 2001: A Space Odyssey, mm -hmm. um, Arthur C. Clarke, that came out about the same time as the film. But that was in 1968, right? Yeah. And Hal, the computer, is exactly what we're now exactly right. spooked about, yeah. right? It's, yeah. it's intelligence that is now forming its own emotions. It's now deciding that actually the better thing for humankind is for perhaps those certain humans not to be around. Um, and, and I think that's a... To, to have written that in 1968 when we barely even had people on the moon or we just had people yeah. on the moon... To have that kind of vision was was spectacular. So, you've I I think you've still got to watch the movie with it, but the book is pretty good. Great. And then we'll finally, what piece of advice would you give to a young person starting out on their career to follow in your footsteps? I mean, other than the old man with his yeah, with his I mean, I'd like that a lot. <laughs> no, look, I mean, it, it's um, what what I've what I've what I've learned is that you know having a vision is fine. Having Try and form too specific a route ends in tears, right? And um, you can have plans, of course, but 
imagine you know if you're going to are you have you got any holiday plans booked yes okay um this summer where you're going this summer so to europe this summer to europe okay so you know which country you're going to you yeah. know which city you're going to go to right you you probably have booked your flights yes okay but you don't know what the what the plane is yet no. you know it's going to be a ba or whatever yeah. but you don't know what it is exactly. right you, you may have ha you may have got your seats may not it doesn't matter you might get a cab to the airport right Yep. Now, when you get your cab to the airport, you might you may come across a roadblock or an accident in the morning, and you yep. have to take a detour, right? So there's there's all these things, but you know you're going to get to your hotel in yes. wherever it is at some point in the future. So so having the vision and keeping keeping hold of the vision, it's right? almost playing the long game. Yes, and saying yeah, I I know, you know. Sailor, sailors do this very well because you know they they can wake up in the morning and the, and the, the wind can be going in exactly the opposite direction to where they want to go, but that doesn't stop them. They just tack a bit more, yeah. right? It takes them yeah. a bit longer, zigzag a bit more, but they, you know we can't control the, the wind, but we can control the sails. Exactly right. So so I think having this ability to to, to detach vision from from path, right, for young people, and I think getting getting the nose, getting the, f you know, the quote unquote failures. Is, is all part of getting around the roadblocks and going again, right? So imagine you're going for a, for a, a job and you get no, 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 no. Well, if, if you go for the next job, you might get a yes, but you give up, you're definitely going to get yeah. no job. Right? Yeah. So, 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 so again, it's that classic sort of Michael Jordan, I've missed 100% of the shots I haven't taken. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So I, I, would, I would urge people to have that kind of optimistic vision-based approach and not worry too much about going down a few dead ends on the yeah. way no that makes a lot of sense so mike how can listeners get in touch with you if they wanted to um well i'm i'm contactable via seance um <laughs> no no <laughs> 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 um no so um, mike at tobin.ceo is the uh, is the email address um and you have a website don't you i have a website um which is uh, michaeltobin.online but um, easiest way is just if you want to contact his, e his email. Mike, this has been really good fun. Thank you so much Pleasure. for your time. Pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Different Perspective, a Zeus podcast. If you'd like to feature on the podcast or get in touch, you can contact me on live at zeuscapital.co.uk. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.